The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing your nation's public radio source for what you need to know and the strategies and tips, techniques, and help you need to get to start or grow your own real estate investing business. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meets tomorrow night for its second meeting of the month of May. For those of you who work full-time and are wondering how to also build your real estate empire. The topic at tomorrow night's main meeting is how I invest in real estate with a full-time job. It's a panel full of folks who have jobs and yet are also doing rehabs or also wholesaling or doing rental properties. If you would like to join the Nonprofit Real Estate Investors Association for that meeting, you can get more information about the meeting and the location at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. My guest today is a real-life real estate investor who has bought and sold over 800 properties and not just doing one thing either. He has done buy and hold rentals. He's rehabbed properties. He's uh, done subdivision and land development deals, rents group homes, uh, did 23 deals in 2013 alone. He is the author of the relatively new book, How I Started with Nothing and Made $12 Million in Real Estate Part-Time, available on Amazon.com. And he's joining us today to talk about how he did it. Joining us from his home in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, is David Krulak. David, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, on the radio with you. Uh, and we are very glad to have you. We are always on the lookout here for just real life folks, not people who are out on the circuit selling, you know, $5,000 courses, just sort of sort of doing the stuff that we all learn how to do, uh, but unlike most people actually doing it. So congratulations on your enormous success. And I want to uh, make sure that listeners know that you are here to uh, help them understand how that happened. And they can call with any questions at 877-772-9658 or email them in to askvena at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A at gmail.com. Now, David, how long did it take you to collect your 800 plus deals uh altogether i've been buying real estate since 1975 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, when I first started, I wasn't buying at the volumes that I currently am doing. Uh, when I first started, I was uh, working a full-time job, like your uh, topic at the RIA group, and um, my job was a non-real estate job. It had nothing to do with real estate, so I was working 40 hours a week and was doing real estate uh, evenings and weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, now, today, I, I don't work uh, at another job. I'm doing real estate exclusively. Um, but while I was uh, working with this full-time job, I did one year um, buy and sell 79 properties. 79 um, properties. In one year, while I was working a full-time job that wasn't real estate. Mm-hmm. Um I cheated a little bit because some of those properties I bought uh, at the same day. Uh, I was doing tax sales. Um, I'd buy 10 properties in one day mm-hmm. at a tax sale. Mm-hmm. We so won't call it, that cheating. We'll call that efficient. <laughs> something like that, <laughs> yes. Okay. And uh, you're, you, you are not... A specialist. I mean, a, a lot of the folks who come on here as guests, they have a cookie cutter. They do the same deal with the same kind of house in the same kind of area and the same kind of buyer and seller every single time. And in in looking through your book, uh, you know, you if you see a deal, you just kind of do it and figure it out as far as I can tell. Um, you've probably heard this saying, uh, but one of my favorite sayings relating to real estate is... Uh, to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, you know, I find that you know somebody who's doing one method, one cookie cutter method, overlooks other deals because they don't fit into the cookie cutter scheme. And when I've looked at deals, they didn't fit what I have already done before, but I tried to figure out some way that I could make it work doing something different. Mm-hmm. 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 And. I assume that that has led you into some of these things that are not, I mean, real estate development is not strictly the same thing as real estate investing. It's a, it's a different sort of business uh, than, than what folks do typically with uh, existing single family homes and, you know, similarly group homes. Uh, is it, is it involve a property? Yeah. <laughs> is it a different kind of business than what most people think of when they think about real estate? Yes, it is. So, uh, would you say that having the attitude more of let me find the deal and then figure out how to make that deal make money is is more of a good thing for a newer investor or more of a handicap than just you know having the hammer and looking for the nail? I, th- I think you need to be open minded to uh, you know different opportunities, and one of the things that I've you know, done throughout this uh, long career is ask a lot of questions. Um, how I got involved in group homes is I was renting a house to a family, and the um, the husband was an executive director of a group home organization. And so I asked him, you know, questions about his job. Well, what do you do there? And he told me about, you know, they... Um, have houses for uh, mentally challenged adults. Um, they are a profit company, and 
they rented all the properties that they had for these group homes. They never bought any properties. And I said, well, are you looking for any more? <laughs> and uh, when I first approached him, he said, well, no, we're not looking for anything right now. And I'd ask him occasionally again and again. And finally he said, no, we are looking for a home. And I didn't have any rental property that met their needs. And so then uh, we started looking for other properties that were for sale. We found a property that met their needs. They went and looked at the property with me, and they decided that was a property for them. And I purchased the property and rented it to them. And I've been renting that first one to them since 94. So it's almost 20 years now that I've rented it to them. They take care of all the utilities. They take care of cutting the grass and shoveling the snow. Uh, they have a maintenance man on staff that takes care of minor repairs. Uh, they pay their rent like clockwork. They are never late. Um, they're like the perfect tenant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. We need to take a quick break. Uh, listeners, this is a real-life investor who has done over 800 deals of just about any sort you can imagine. What do you want to know about how he got where he is today? Give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is David Krulak, a real life investor who has been in the real estate business for many years and who has bought and sold over 800 properties of various sorts during that time. He's the author of How I Started With Nothing and Made $12 Million in Real Estate Part-Time, available at Amazon.com, or better yet, if you'd like to support programming here on WMKV, go to WMKVFM.org, click the Amazon.com button, get the book, and... Apparently, I don't know, Amazon sends a little bit of money to the station, which is an awesome way for you to get a book you want and also support public radio. Um, Okay, so uh, again, David, you just said, ask a lot of questions. I want listeners to ask a lot of questions today at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. And uh, David's open to any kind of question that you have about just, you know, how how did you do it? What's your favorite kind of deal? Uh, whatever you might want to know. You don't get very many chances to meet people, particularly in the single and small multifamily business who have done this level of business. So take advantage of that today by calling in or emailing with your questions. Um, Now, David, 800 deals is just a lot of deals. It doesn't matter how you slice it. What have been over the years your favorite ways of finding those deals? Um, Tax sales have been a big portion of what I've done. Um, I figured out uh, when I was writing the book, the examples in the book, that 31% of the properties that I bought were acquired at tax sale. Um, it's a real interesting way to acquire property. Um, over the years, things have fluctuated a lot. You know, there will be publicity for tax sales, and then more people will come and bid, uh, or the economy changes, there will be less people bidding. Um, 
the rules are different in every state. Um, here, there's no redemption rights. So once it's sold, and it's a deed state, so once you purchase the property at the sale, you get the deed and you're the owner and there's no redemption rights for the former owner. Um, you can buy properties um, for as low as $50 or $100,000. So there's a big variance in price. And so I find that it, it has a lot of appeal because you can kind of pick your, your price point. You can buy stuff, stuff that's low-priced or you can buy stuff that's more higher-priced. Um, it's a bit of a caution, though, in that you know, you need to do due diligence, you need to do title searches, you need to look at the properties. Uh, you know, I say that, you know, you have to physically look at the property. I know that there's, you know, online uh, programs like Google Earth that you can, you know, look at all these properties, but I want to see them in person, go around the back, you know, in the backyard, see the neighbors, all this other kind of stuff. So a physical viewing of the property is a requirement for me and uh, a full uh, due diligence including title searches to see what mortgages are on the property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So big chunk of it's been tax sales and what else do you like? Um, I know some people uh, say, oh, I never buy anything in the multi-list. I bought 25% of my properties in the multi-list, which means they were available for anyone to buy. You know, um, I think that uh, not all of them scream out uh, deals when you first look at them. You kind of have to make them deals. You know, if you see a property for sale, it's a good property. Maybe the price isn't exactly what you're looking for. You know, you can always offer a little bit less and and possibly get the property. So, you know, I use the multi list too. Um, I bought properties that weren't listed at all directly from owners. I bought properties that were in estates and probation, uh, probate properties, um, foreclosure properties. I've gone to sheriff sales. I bought property at sheriff sales at one time. Uh, I bought a whole subdivision at a sheriff sale. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting, interesting. Uh, we do have a caller. Interestingly enough on that one, um, there was no mortgage on it, but there was a nursing home lien that was hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they were the ones that were foreclosing on the property. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, we got a caller. Uh, Anthony is calling from Cincinnati on line one. Anthony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Uh, thank you, Zena. I just had a, a question. Um, I wanted to know, in his opinion, for someone working um, 8 to 5 or 8 to 6, what has seemed to be the best time to meet with sellers and as far as like during the winter time and things of that nature, like when is the best time to meet with with sellers to evaluate the houses if you're working a full time job? <laughs> and in winter, eight to five is all the daylight hours. There, there, you, you exactly. try and try and go to a house at six o'clock at night or you know seven thirty in the morning. You can't see it. Uh, well, exactly. That's my point. <laughs> David, you 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 managed to do it. How did you pull that off? Um. You know, you have to look at it nights and weekends. Um, you know, the winter months are a big problem. You know, it's not only dark at 5 o'clock, but it can be snow and ice and a lot of other things, and people are, you know, concerned about the holidays and not selling their houses. But weekends, 
they'll provide an opportunity for that. And um, towards the end of my uh, working career where I had a job, I was able to work flex time, and I worked four 10-hour days, and I had every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. And so I used those days to uh, look for real estate and talk to, to sellers and those kind of things. Plus, the other thing that I did a lot of was you know, I bought properties that were REOs and share sales and tax sales where you don't really get to talk to the seller. You don't need to talk to the seller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question, Anthony? Yes, it does. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much for your phone call. Um, it's interesting. It's always interesting to me, David, when I meet someone like yourself who has done something that I hear so many people say, but I can't because, you know, I can't, I can't start investing in real estate now because I have a job. I can't start, start investing in real estate now because I don't have a ton of money. And, and yet almost everyone who has been successful has done it despite the fact that in theory they couldn't either, <laughs> right? I mean, you had a job and you still bought hundreds of houses over the course of a few years. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I didn't have uh, any money. Um, the first 11 houses that I bought were essentially all 100% financed in one way or another. The first property that I bought uh, I got a 90% bank mortgage, and my parents lent me the 10%. So I had nothing in it because I didn't have anything to put in it. I didn't have any money saved. Uh, I recently started a new job. I, you know, I wasn't making a big salary, and I had no savings. And uh, I still persisted and, and looked at property and wanted to buy property, and I was determined that not having the money wasn't going to be an obstacle. I was still going to buy a house one way or another. Mm-hmm. Determined is a great word. Most of the folks who manage to pull off being successful at their real estate business despite no time. I mean, who does have to? I mean, who's sitting, who's sitting around going, well, I've got an extra 40 hours a week. How shall I fill it up? <laughs> I'll go invest in real estate. Uh, you know, family obligations, lack of money, lack of credit, all of all of those sorts of things. You know, the thing they have in common is that they are determined, and that they don't they find ways around those things. It's not that they stop. It's not that they stop existing. You know, it's not. I'm guessing. I'm guessing you didn't quit your job prior to being able to support yourself with your real estate business. It didn't just evaporate. It just that you did both things until you were able to do only the thing that you wanted to do. Is that correct? Right. I voluntarily left my job uh, at a point where um, I didn't need my job. Um, And when I did start buying the first houses, I was single. I didn't have any children. I didn't have family obligations in that sense. But, no, I have a wife and family now, and, uh, you know, that takes up time, too. And I'm still managing rental properties and buying properties and rehabbing properties and selling properties. So, um, you know, I'm still doing the same sort of things, maybe not as much volume as I was in some other years. 
Mm-hmm. When we come back, we're going to talk to David Krulak about his experiences in the various market cycles we, we've, we've had since 1975 and what he thinks some good strategies are for 2014. We'll also take your calls at 877-772-9658 or questions via email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is David Krulak, a real life investor from Pennsylvania. Not not one of the areas that you sit around and think, well, now that's a really hopping market. But it doesn't matter where you live if you're doing what you need to do. There are deals out there as my guests today proves. He wrote how I started with nothing and made 12 million in real estate part-time. You can get that by going to wmkvfm.org and clicking on the amazon.com button. And if you're going to click it, we would, if you're going to do that, we would appreciate that you did it that way. Uh, We're going to go to the uh, lines now and talk to David on line one, who I believe is from California. David, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. How are you doing? Nice hearing you. Heard you for a long time. I have a quick question. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, I have uh, about four investment properties, and I'm still treading water. They weren't bought at the bottom of the market. They're kind of in the middle before everything tumbled. I'm looking for appreciation or rents to go up. What do you feel? Is Are we still holding a pattern? Are we holding under rents? Uh, I feel I'm just holding time. I'm not making any money. Or, or looking at any any great gains. What do you think about that? What uh, part of California do you live in, David? I live in Southern California, but my properties are are all over the U.S. Oh, okay, okay. So, because I, 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 my first question for you was going to be, have you checked the values of your property lately? Because Southern California is going crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, so, Southern California. It, it, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's deep yeah, into bubble it, mode again. <laughs> I, I don't understand it, Vina. I mean, we went down. I bought my home in 99. I watched it go up, go down, and back up again. When the market opened up, there's two properties right across the street in the cul-de-sac who sold for just about 500000 within 21 days. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm fine with home. I'm just looking like I have <laughs> one in, in Phoenix and one in Dallas and San Antonio. So I'm just watching the markets go slowly. Not crazy appreciation, but I just want to know what mode we're in. We're definitely not screaming out there, but just trying to just hold water. Well, Phoenix is in an interesting situation right now. Uh, it may have for the moment topped out. The The yes. market did go up significantly there. There was an enormous amount of foreign money coming into Phoenix from Canada and China and places like that. And uh, enormous amount of hedge fund money that went into buying rentals in that area over the last few years. But from what I'm reading, the hedge funds have cut way back on their purchasing in Phoenix. They have driven up the prices and driven down the rents to the point where they apparently can't make money uh, buying exactly. <laughs> buying under their own um, uh, model. Uh, so yeah. if, you're, if you're thinking about selling the Phoenix property, it might be now or wait another couple of years. Uh, they're... they're, they're you know, you may see a little fall off in the prices in Phoenix, and uh, I understand there's already already been quite a fall off in the rents in Phoenix versus sort of the top of the mini bubble. Uh, you're down. Yeah. The, uh, go ahead. Yeah, that that Phoenix was my was my learner property. Just like you said, we all have to learn, and you don't learn unless you go out there and do it. 
There was a few things I did in Dallas, I'm sorry, in Phoenix, that I wouldn't do again, but I'm kind of stuck there. Mm-hmm. But then Dallas and San Antonio are both doing great. It's just a matter, like, we just don't see the appreciation or the rents going up like we did before. Mm-hmm. So they're fine. It's just that one that's, I guess, the, the dog in the family. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dal- your Dallas and San Antonio properties should be good performers if you bought them right. Uh, Texas has a very strong economy relative to the rest of the country. Uh, it's pretty. It's a, been, been a pretty business-friendly state, which always helps with jobs. Um, a lot of California money still going into California, or California money going into Texas, uh, because the deals are cheaper there than they are. Yeah, in more uh, for the buck, more for the buck. Right, and uh, the the Texas market, from what I've been hearing from folks I know who invest down there. Uh, really started picking up much sooner than, let's say, Ohio or Pennsylvania, <laughs> and uh, you should you should be doing okay down there. I mean, you should have seen some appreciation, certainly, and yeah. and I wouldn't expect uh, I wouldn't expect Texas to to fall off anytime soon because of the strength of the economy and the fact that uh, it is fairly business friendly. So right. I, I don't, everything you're saying I've read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, that's what I'm hearing from folks that I know who invest in those areas as well. So I think you're I think you're good with your Texas properties. Phoenix, you're going to have to make a decision about whether it's time to dump it, because I don't think that they're going to have the kind of appreciation over the next couple of years that they did over the last couple of years. Uh, but the other option, of course, is hold on to it because time cures all wounds in the case of real estate. Yeah, I think I just have to convince my wife of that one, but I understand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for your call, David. We appreciate Thank it. You, and Thank uh, you. In- interesting perspective from outside of the Midwest here. Um, so, David Krulak, um, you ha- if you started investing in 1975, you have been through at least five major market cycles, not like little dips and little raises like you went through the hyperinflation you went through the 21 percent interest rates you went through uh the the uh first reo bubble back in the late 80s you went through the second reo bubble recently what what is your what is your perspective on all of that you 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 just you kept investing how did you stomach it how did you do it despite the fact that things went up way up and way down sometimes? Um, I'm always a buyer. Um, and if the market is bad, that doesn't stop me from being a buyer. Um, it might change the terms or it might change the price, but I'm still interested in buying. In 1981, um, I bought a property. It was owned by a relocation company, and they had gone in and painted and cleaned, and it was in immaculate condition. It had been sitting on the market for a year. I went and looked at it. It was like perfect. I couldn't get financing except FHA, which meant that I had to move into the property. I did. You know, I moved into it just to get the financing, just to get that property. And there was an extra lot next to the house, which essentially I got for free. And I figured that uh, I could put another house at some time in the future on that, that extra lot. 
Well, eventually I bought another piece of land that was behind it that was unbuildable, and I combined my extra land with this other unbuildable land and did a subdivision plan to build 17 townhouses in my backyard mm. on land that I essentially got for free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the interest rate, I signed the contract to buy the property. I said that I would take 16% interest fixed for 30 years to buy that property. Mm-hmm. We ended up, we settled at 15%, mm-hmm. and I was glad for that. <laughs> um I, of course, I refinanced the property like three more times, uh, did the subdivision plan, and eventually sold the house, and I sold the the other property uh, for the townhouse development. Mm-hmm. So it, it all worked out. I made a lot of money at it uh, on a house that had sat there for, you know, a year with nobody buying it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there are deals. There, there were a lot less buyers in, in 1981 than there were you know, several years before that. Um, the real estate business was totally changed. Like 50% of the, the real estate agents quit because they couldn't make any money because there was no sales. Uh, it was a really bad time, and I thought that was the worst time ever until the current time, <laughs> 2008. And then you met 2008, yes. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> that changed my perspective. So it sounds like part of the secret to your success is you are willing to take the long-term view on something as long as it's as long as it's going to make money in the meantime you're willing to wait sometimes years to make the big money on the sale. That's right. Uh you know following up with David from California the longer you own the property the less you are affected by market cycles uh, what you paid for it. Uh, the longer you own the property, the less relevant what your purchase price is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a property and you want to sell it next week, you got to get a deep discount in order to make some money. But if you're buying a property and you're gonna hold it for ten years, you don't really need that much of a discount on it, as long as the property carries itself and and the income you know, covers the expenses. <laughs> Very true. Um... Jason. So the, your perspective determines how big of a discount you need on, on the property. And the longer you own the property, if you're like buy and hold forever, you could pay uh, asking price on every property mm-hmm. as long as it you know, carried the expenses. As long as you got the right financing. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's the terms that's more important than the price. Uh, Jason just tagged Real Life Real Estate on our Facebook page saying that he wants his money back for the show because there was apparently an EAS service alert that Dave and I did not hear, but you listeners did hear. I'm assuming that since we're recording off of here, that will not show up on the podcast. Okay, so all you got to do, Jason, we're not refunding your money for the free show. (laughs) But if you listen to Real Life Real Estate on the podcast, which will be posted on approximately Friday, you will be able to hear the important discussion that David and I were having at that time. And, uh, you know, that was like when the when the alert was on, that was when he said the thing that's going to make you a million bucks. So go listen to the podcast. A uh, question here from Mike in Texas. He says, what does David think about developing and building new projects like residential and small commercial versus looking for existing properties and updating or remodeling them for a profit as a small investor in today's market? 
I like uh, starting from scratch, and you no, know, we've bought farms and, and woodland and developed them. I know I developed the, the backyard of my house. I like doing that, starting from scratch, and not be burdened with what's already there. Or, uh, you know, like if you're remodeling a house and you know, somebody's butchered it up, you got to unbutcher it before you can do what you want to do. Um, when you're talking about a raw piece of land, you know, you're, you're starting from you know, literally ground zero. You can do whatever you want. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about what somebody else did. Um, we've done subdivisions with two or three or four lots. We've also done subdivisions on 100 acres. Um, so you can start small. You can, you can start whatever size you want. And um, as long as you're in the, the path of progress, there's going to be demand for people to build houses on those properties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we don't we don't build any houses on any of these subdivisions that we've done. No, I'm not a, a spec builder or a custom builder. Um, we typically would allow any builder in as long as they met the protective covenants. Uh, you know the requirements on square footage and you know garages and masonry and things like that that are in the protective covenants. And we also allow. No homeowners to come in and bring in any builder that they want. So we're not an exclusive development. We allow any builder in. And one of the things that that causes to happen is that all the houses aren't the same. They're not cookie cutter. You know, you don't have a house and then two doors down have the identical house. So it makes for a diverse development with all different styles of houses and different builders and worked out pretty well. Interesting. Uh, We need to take another quick break, after which we will answer your questions. If you'd like to email them to askvina at gmail.com or take them by phone at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My name is Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Dave Krulak, who is a real-life investor from Pennsylvania who did the thing that a lot of us say we're going to do. I mean, how many times if you've been in the business for a while and you've told your war stories as someone said, man, you should write a book. Well, he actually did. And it's called How I Started With Nothing and Made $12 Million in Real Estate Part-Time. It's available at wmkvfm.org. Go there and click the Amazon.com button and uh, you can order it through Amazon and some portion of that money goes to WMKV, and every little bit helps here in public radio. Um, so, David, we've had a we've had a lot of questions from folks about, um, you know, sort of how do I get started and which is the best thing to do, and so on. For right now, where we are in the market, what is your favorite way of finding deals, and what is your favorite exit strategy? Um, I like HUD properties a lot. Uh, I bought six HUD properties last year. I've been buying HUD properties since 86. Uh, so I've been through lots of HUD properties. Um, you don't meet with the seller, you know, like one of the other callers was talking about. I mean, you go look at the properties. They're all empty. 
and um, the prices sometimes are not super prices, but they have a policy that every 30 days they lower the price. So if you don't like the price this month, uh, it'll be better next month if it's still on the market. Um, the ones that I've been buying, I'm getting the properties for around a third of what they sold for the last time they sold. Some of them sold you know, 2008, 2009, though at the peak of the market. Um, one of the ones that I just bought, I paid 34000 for. It needed cleaning and painting, and I have it rented for eight ninety five. Um, it's uh, a good purchase in that it's generating, you know, plenty of income versus what the purchase price was. Mm-hmm. Um, I like buy and hold. I like to have stuff that's, um, you know, big on the positive cash flow side. I'm not buying anything that has negative cash flow. I'm not buying anything that's break even. You know, I'm always looking for properties that are going to make money and you know, generate income. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think HUDs. I think HUDs are a good opportunity. Um, it varies, you know, by area. It varies. You know, sometimes there's a, a a lot of good properties on the list. Sometimes there's no good properties on the list. I looked at the list today. There wasn't anything that interested me today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's a nice big self-regenerating list with HUD. Uh, now. But, yeah, they change the list every day. So <laughs> and with so you having... have to look at it every day in order to keep up on you know, what's available, what's sold. Mm-hmm. And with FHA having something like uh, 23% of the market for first-time home buyers and allowing credit scores as low now as 550, I think we can expect more HUD foreclosures in the future. Um, and, uh, you know, HUDHomestore.com, it's easy easy to get to. The the How- Department of Housing De- and Urban Development has a website called HUDHomestore.com that anybody can log into and look at uh, anything that they would like to uh, bid. Although you do have to be careful to make sure that you first click that drop-down menu that says uh, available for investors because many times in the first 30 days... Uh, they are they've not recently available. they've recently updated that that um, in at least in our area that they changed it to 15 days. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they've made that a better deal. So on the 16th day, it's available for investors. Interesting, interesting. All right, uh, David, we have about five minutes left in the program. And uh, thinking back to where you were in 1975, no no big money, no big credit not lots of time on your hands, full-time job, and where you are today. And thinking about listeners that might be where you were in 1975, what advice would you give them about how to get started and ultimately get to the point where they are full-time investors, where they can do lots of different kinds of deals and where they can more than support themselves with their real estate business? When I first started, you know, I was looking for property and uh, I didn't make a lot of money, and I didn't have any savings. Um, and it seemed like the properties that I liked I couldn't afford, and the properties that I could afford I didn't like. So I, I looked for months and months and months before I bought the first property. Um, I told everybody that I knew 
that I was looking for a property. And a co-worker said to me, well, there's this house that's being sold at auction on my street. And uh, so I went and looked at it. It was owned by the State Highway Department, and they were redesigning uh, an interchange on a four-lane limited-access highway, and they had bought three properties, and the interchange was going to empty into a subdivision, and the people who lived in the subdivision protested, and they redesigned the highway to skirt the uh, perimeter of the subdivision. They ended up with these three houses that they had already bought. I went and looked at them. It was at an auction. I ended up getting the property. I signed the contract saying that uh, we would settle within 30 days. I gave notice at my apartment that I was going to be vacating, and 30 days comes, and we're not settled yet. I went to uh, the attorney general's office who was handling the sale for the state, and I said, no, I'm going to be homeless. I know I thought we were going to settle in 30 days. I've already given notice to my apartment. They re-rented it. Uh, could I move into the house? And the deputy attorney general that I was dealing with, he said, oh, no, we, we couldn't allow that. We don't have any insurance. And I said, well, I already have insurance policy because I was expecting to settle. And he said, if I showed proof of the insurance that they would let me move in. I'm figuring we're going to settle in a week or two. I uh, showed him the insurance policy. They gave me the keys. We never discussed paying rent. <laughs> so it didn't come up. You know, I was a brand-new investor. Um, they took care of the the sewer and the trash and the lawn care. All I had to pay was the gas, electric, and water. I lived there for six more months without paying any rent until we finally settled. It was like a revelation to me. I said, this real estate, this is good stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, my recommendation to somebody starting out is to stick to it, persevere. Financing is a big key. I've gotten you no know, first mortgages and second mortgages. I've belonged to multiple credit unions. Uh, one of the credit unions I belonged to had a signature loan for $10,000, you didn't need any collateral. Well, I used that multiple times. You know, I'd use it for down payments, I'd use it for rehabs, you know, I'd borrow it, pay it back, borrow it again, pay it back, borrow it again. Um, there's sources of, of funding there. Uh, you don't have to deal with, you know, the secondary market and Fannie Mae mortgages. There's a lot of portfolio lenders, credit unions, local and regional banks, they have money to lend. Um, people should avail themselves of that. Mm -hmm. Well, the lesson I've learned from listening to you today is never be afraid to ask for anything, including being able to move into a house before it's even purchased. And just, you know, keep, keep doing it, keep talking to people, keep looking for the right opportunities. And if you look hard enough and for long enough, they will appear and maybe you too can be on Real Life Real Estate talking about how you have done 800 deals. Thank you for your time today, David Krulak. Again, the book, How I Started With Nothing and Made 12 Million in Real Estate Part-Time, available at wmkvfm.org by 
pushing the Amazon button there on the page. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.